Good morning, Mountain Park. Oh, good to be with you, and I hear that energy. You're so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Alan, and we are in this series called Cleaning Out the Garage. And from a literal sense, let me give you an update on how things went this week with our student union garage sale. So uh, you all did quite well. Typically, for this fundraiser for uh, student ministry, we uh, raise about 8,000, a little over 8,000, but this year it's closer to 13,000. So well done, well done. Way to go. And let me just remind you that every dollar of that goes to our students so that they can go on servant leadership trip, the mission trip this summer. And so they work, they don't just get, they don't just play Fortnite and then get this money. They worked all week preparing and doing the whole garage sale, and then they will uh, get this money so that they can go on their mission trips. Good, good, good stuff. It's, it's you give the stuff, and then you come back and you buy the stuff, and then next year you give the stuff back because you realize you didn't need it. It's just a great system. So, so thankful for all of you for participating in that. So, and then with, as far as cleaning out the garage, which literally you did so well, but spiritually what we're talking about is the reality that we all have unconfessed junk that is sitting in our garage. It's sitting on shelves in our garage and we can get by without it. We can function with it there. We can get through the garage. We can just kind of continue to stuff stuff in our garage and not, and not worry about it, not think about it. But God has something better for us. And God wants to cleanse that part of our, those parts of our lives out. And what we're doing with this series is we're focusing on one verse from 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 9. And, and our hope is that we would memorize this verse, that we would soak it in. I want to remind you of it here, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As we did last week, I want to do this with you and remove some of the pieces so that we can move closer to embracing this. Are you ready for the challenge? All right, let's do this together. I want to hear you say this together. Change it up. Ready? If we, our, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all very good. Good for you. Give yourselves a hand. That was well done. Some of you got to some of the blanks and went, uh, 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 uh. but we're getting closer. It's all right. It's all, it's all good. So what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of what history has, been, has referred to as the seven deadly sins. And, and some of these uh, things, most of these things that uh, we find them throughout scripture, these things pop up and they're often things that we don't put to the forefront of, yeah, that's, a, that's something I'm really struggling with, really uh, dealing with. They're often things that are hiding in the garage. So my wife this morning, she asked me, she said, which one are we looking at today? And I looked at her and I said, because today we're looking at anger. We're looking at wrath. Anger is the laziest of all emotions because you don't have to do anything for this thing to kick in. You just walk around and it just happens. You drive your car, somebody cuts in front of you and bam, there it is. You were in a great mood until watch this. And then you go to Starbucks 
and you're, you're kind of in a hurry and somebody in the line is taking forever or they can't decide or it wasn't quite perfect so they have to have it redone and so the whole thing is delayed and you're just getting angry and that one's worse because you haven't had your cup of coffee yet and so that one is all kind of spiraling on top of itself. Anger is something we all experience. Some of us were born angry. You came out crying and that just rolled into yelling and that's really how the whole thing has worked out. Some of us, we wake up angry. Maybe we have a peaceful sleep and all that as well. Then when that alarm clock goes off, and then instantly you get mad, you get mad at the machine, you start hitting the machine, you throw the machine across the room. And so your peaceful sleep just turns into anger and that just flows into your day. That kind of moves your day. Or others of us, we've figured out some way to manage or control our anger in some way. We have some kind of system, serenity now, serenity now, whatever the system might be for you. You know what that's from, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, whatever your system might be for you, but all of us, we have a regular, ongoing interaction with anger. So what are we supposed to do with it? Is all anger bad? If it's not all bad, then what's the difference between good anger and bad anger? That's what we're going to go after for the next few moments. Would you bow your heads and pray with me one, uh, one more time? Father God, I thank you that you are with us, that you are attentive to our needs here as we gather in this place. You're attentive to our insecurities, to our lack of awareness of some parts of our lives. And Father, we want to be attentive to you, that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us, that we would wash away all of the distractions, all the stuff we brought into this room, all our concerns about this afternoon, etc. God, that we would just set that aside and give you our full attention. Thank you for meeting us here today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Old Testament is more than two-thirds of the Bible. It's almost three-quarters of the Bible. It is the story of the Hebrew people. It's referred to as the Hebrew scriptures. It's the whole story of the Bible up until Jesus. And again, it's most of the Bible. And many Christians, many people here in this room, are not all that big of fans of the Old Testament. Many don't read the Old Testament as much as the New Testament because the Old Testament reveals a God who is a God of what? Wrath. And that God, many of us are not as comfortable with. We have the story, I mean, multiple times we see the, we see, uh, the wrath of God. Early on in the book of Genesis, we have the famous story of Noah. And that story is based around God annihilating all humans on the earth except for Noah and his family. And not long after that, we have a God who rains down balls of sulfur, firing balls of sulfur as rain and destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And then not long after that, there's a group of people who, who go against what Moses is doing as the leader, as they're moving throughout the desert. And there's a group of people who, who don't agree with what's going on and they're becoming defiant. And God opens up the earth and sucks up those people who are going against Moses and then closes the earth back up. And there's story and story after story of 
of God choosing to act out his, ju- his justice in ways like that. And we're not all uh, very much comfortable with that. So we like to read the New Testament because the New Testament is all happy, happy, joy, joy, right? But then in the, even in the New Testament, we read experiences like when Jesus goes into the temple and he sees that, that people, not just Jewish leaders, but merchants from the city are in there in the temple and doing dishonest trading in the temple area. And Jesus doesn't calmly go have a conversation with everybody. He flips over the tables. He is angry. At one point he says to Peter, one of his closest friends, he looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. He's angry with Peter. And then... uh, there are, there are times where he refers to the Jewish leaders as a brood of vipers. He's frustrated with their lack of compassion for those who need compassion. So with examples like that, how could anger be sin if it's a part of God's character? How could anger be sin if it is a part of the story? How could anger be sin if it flows from justice or fuels justice? It is part of God's way of taking care of justice in the world. How could it be sin if it's part of Jesus' story? To bring things much more current, last century there was a revolutionary here in America who uh, is famous and at one point said this. He said, If I wish to compose or write or pray or preach well, I must be angry. Then all the blood in my veins is stirred and my understanding is sharpened. Do you know who said this? You might be surprised to find out it was Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, this guy was known for his peaceful acts of change. And he says, I must be angry. Angry. How can anger be one of the seven deadly sins? Not long ago, in the last century, in the middle of the last century, there were psychologists who started to believe that anger has no place in civilized society. That anger is just, it's left over from our savage rage past where we needed anger in order to survive and beat up animals or whatever, that, that, that anger needed to be there for us to survive. But now that we're civilized, there's no need for anger. And so, so anyone who is displaying any anger is moving in the wrong direction from the development of humanity. However, in the 70s, they started doing some, uh, uh, psychologists started doing some experimentation. Some of it they stumbled upon to realize the effectiveness of anger, to realize that anger oftentimes actually made things better and anger did not always make things worse, that there were circumstances in in relationships and business uh, exchanges and marriages where it was the anger that brought things to the surface to allow people to deal with things and actually improve relationships, make it better, not worse. There were circumstances where anger would actually lead to very important conversations, and then as a result, there would be increased respect for the people involved. Anger actually had a place. Anger was, they they realized, was very effective. 
And in the next decade, in 1987, there was a guy who wanted to experiment with a little, a little bit more with the whole anger thing. As culture was kind of realizing the effectiveness of anger, there was a guy named uh, Geraldo Rivera <laughs> who was starting a talk show and he started the show and it had mediocre response at first. And so it was a regular talk show and it had regular, you know, uh, 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 viewership, etc. And then he, he had an idea. He said, what if I kind of stir up a little angst on stage? And so he famously decided for one episode to have white supremacists on stage as well as skinheads as well as black activists and Jewish activists, put them all on stage to see what would happen. What could possibly go wrong? And in this famous moment in American history, and to the surprise of everybody, <laughs> there was a brawl that broke out. They, they didn't just, just have a kind little conversation about their differences of opinions. They fought. They destroyed the set of the show and broke the nose of Geraldo Rivera. Broke his nose. It was a hit. It was a huge success. And so there was this new thing in American TV that was saying, you know what? People actually want to watch this. There's something about this that is interesting or intriguing, that, there, that anger has definitely a place in American culture. That's what they were starting to realize. And, 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 and a number of different radio talk shows and TV talk shows have kind of moved with that zone. And it's still very much a part of how media is working. Social media has definitely uh, continue to use that. I mean, one of the most popular things that get, get uh, uh, transferred and, and tweeted and passed around, often there are things that are connected to anger, somebody being upset about something else, and et cetera. It's either cat videos or it's anger. Those are the two things. And so there's so much anger that is stirred up that Facebook and Twitter didn't have to create content like Geraldo Rivera. They just created a platform for animosity. And so all of our opinions and all that kind of jump in and keep this thing moving. Some have said, many have said, that President Trump became president because of the anger in our country and his awareness of the effectiveness of anger and the power of anger. During his campaign, he was quoted as saying this, I'm angry. Anger and energy are what this country needs. Anger is not something that is left over from our savage past and is just fading away. It very much continues to be a powerful and effective part of how we do life, but effective for what? And again, what does it mean to have the difference between good anger and bad anger? What's the difference between effective anger and deadly sin anger? Well, that's enough about American history and blah, 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 blah. Let's go to where we really want to find some information, and that is Scripture. I want to take a look at Romans chapter 12, which is one of my favorite chapters in all of, all of Scripture. And Paul writes this letter to Rome and he has never been to Rome. He longs to go to Rome someday. And he writes this incredible letter that we continue to dig into and learn from 2,000 years later. But he writes this incredible letter. And in chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, he says this. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. We understand evil for evil. We, we understand that because we value justice. All of us appreciate the, the value for justice. You know what the symbol for justice is in our culture, right? The, the symbol is the scales, right? It's, it's, this, it's this picture of balance, the balanced scales. It's evil for evil. It's this balanced piece. And the reality of anger for us is that we value justice, and so when we're angry, what we're really good at is justifying our anger. What we're really good at is, is explaining why we're angry. And so we often don't view it as a sin because it's, we have reason to be angry. That if we're angry at something, then somebody or some group of bodies or some circumstance is at fault, did something wrong, and so there's an imbalance to the scales, and I'm angry about that, and I want justice. I demand justice. And so it's, it's natural for us to uh, 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 head into this because we're, we're, we, we get frustrated with the imbalance piece. We, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I talked about, with the seven deadly sins, I talked about greed and pride. Those things we typically don't have much of a, of a justification for, when, when, those, when that stuff is shined on us or we have a mirror and see that stuff, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of ugly. I've got to decide whether I'm going to do something with that. That's part of what's stored away in my garage. But anger, we're pretty good at justifying that. Most of us that, uh, can, can explain why we're angry. I'm angry because you left the orange juice out on the counter again. What are you thinking? How hard is it to pick up the orange juice, open up the fridge, and put it back? Why do you expect me to do that? How many times do I have to tell you to put the orange juice away? How many times have I told you that orange juice doesn't grow on trees, that we have to take care of this stuff? <laughs> and so there's this anger, and then we have the justification just flows right by it. And yet Paul says here in verse 17, he says something radical. He says, do not repay anger or evil for evil. Do not repay evil for evil. This goes against all natural thinking. Where does he get this from? Where does he get this? Let me tell you, he, this, he didn't make this up. Where does he get this from? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus changes the world in one sermon. And part of this sermon is in multiple, multiple times, he says, you've heard it said blank, but I say blank. And he flips the whole thing upside down. So he says in chapter 5, he says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or as Paul says, evil for evil. That's actually written in the Old Testament. You've heard this stuff, and Jesus says, but I say turn the other cheek. What? I say, if your enemy asks for your shirt, you give him your coat as well. What? Jesus says, I say, if your enemy uh, requires you to walk a mile, you walk an extra mile. What? Jesus just changed the whole, he redefines the whole thing. Now, Paul wasn't there on that mountain hearing that sermon when Jesus told it. Because at that time, 
Paul was persecuting the followers of Jesus. He was killing Christians. He thought they were wrong and that they needed to be annihilated. And Jesus has an encounter with Paul later on after he died and rose uh, from the dead. Jesus appears before Paul and says, hey, I'm actually the Messiah. You actually have this wrong. So Paul has this first-stand experience to be thankful that we are not supposed to repay evil for evil because he should have been annihilated for what he had done. So he gets to realize, okay, there's something else going on here. It's not evil for evil. That Jesus comes in and says, I want you to rethink the anger piece because there's actually a purpose for it. And it's not just about balancing the scales. Paul continues in the next verse, verse 18. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I appreciate the sensitivity that Paul has here to the reality of life. If possible, as far as it depends on you. What I think he means by that is the reality that anger is unavoidable. Just, if possible, be at peace. But we can't always be at peace because life means we're gonna be frustrated with something going on. Anger is going to be there. If you are in a marriage that has no anger whatsoever, I don't know what that is. <laughs> then, then, then I, I, I don't understand what that is. Then, then you have no connection with that person. You have no communication with that person because there, there will be, as far as possible, be at peace, but there will be times when we're angry. I think what, what, what we can read out of this is anger shouldn't be normal. Anger should be rare. It should be uncommon. And when it surfaces, and it, can, it does surface in marriage and in work relationships and friendships, when anger surfaces, be very careful. There's an American author named Ambrose Bierce who was also a Civil War veteran who wonderfully uh, wrote this at one point. He says, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. He's saying, just, just be careful with the anger part. Don't let it drive your relationship. Don't let it define your relationship. Let it be rare. Let it be uncommon. If you're constantly angry, then you're never effectively angry. If, if anger is just kind of your mode, then you're, you're never going to experience the benefits of being angry about the right things. It's like listening to a preacher who always yells. Who just, just every sentence is just rah, 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 always yells, always yells. Maybe one sermon and you'll kind of get it and you'll get blasted and your life will change and all that. But after a while, wah, 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 wah. So I'm, I'm sorry if I yell too much or whatever. Because if it's all the same kind of thing, we just kind of lose it. You know who we really pay attention to when they get angry? Is the person who's rarely angry. The person who is peaceful and content and joyful, and easy to get along with, when that person gets stirred up about something, whoa, whoa. We stop and we listen. You know who was like that? Jesus. 
Jesus was incredibly peaceful. Let the children come to me, that they would all climb on his lap. And he was so attractive and he was so, he was so loved and easy to get along with and just, just oozed the peace and the joy, all the fruit of the Spirit. And so when those times when he would get angry, whoa, 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 whoa. He had their attention for sure. Because people who rarely get angry are people who typically get angry at the right things. Because they let go of the things that are not effective reasons for getting angry. They get angry at the right things. So here's, here's, here's a question to perhaps help us understand if we're getting angry about the right things or not. Whatever you're angry about or have recently been angry about or consistently are angry about, whatever that thing is, can you defend that issue if you stood before Jesus himself? If you stood before Jesus and explained your anger, would that be a good encounter? So, so if, I, if I encountered Jesus and I said, I am angry that my car broke down. Again, I'm angry because it's incredibly inconvenient and it messed up my day and it's going to cost me money that either I don't want to spend or I don't have. And then I'm angry at the, the person who's saying they're going to fix it and how much it's going to cost. I'm angry at the whole situation and I want to explain this to you, Jesus, because I'm really angry. Now, I understand that kind of anger. My car has broken down many times. I had seven cars that I bought myself before I graduated from high school. Average price, $412. So, so the, I had lots of cars that have broken down in my life, and I understand that frustration, absolutely. But is that something that if I stood before the king of kings, that I would be able to defend why I got so bent out of shape over that? On the other hand, if I said, I'm angry because of human trafficking here in my city. I'm angry because there are predators who go to schools in our community and they target friends of these girls and go in there and try to lure them into opportunities to ruin their lives. I'm angry at predators who go to malls in our community and they have interactions with girls in our community to lure them into an awful journey. I'm angry at that. Could I stand before Jesus and defend that kind of anger? Paul says, as, as far as possible, live at peace with everyone. Absolutely. So that when we become angry about the right things, that we can be effectively angry and not just get caught up in deadly sin anger. So the final thing that, that I want to look at today, the whole chapter is, is terrific, but I just want to land on verse 19. Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God says, this is my job, not yours. Anger is effective. Anger 
works. And there are times when anger actually stirs up a person or a group of people. We actually get their attention towards something that is God-honoring, something that is going to move us in the right direction. But when we get their attention, that's the time to stop being angry. Because if we get their attention and then we continue to be angry, that's when we go into vengeful mode. We go into revenge mode. I've got your attention and now I want to make sure you're hurt. Now I want to make sure I break you. If there's something in your marriage that, is, that you need to talk about and you're angry and you're frustrated about it, you can talk about it and then you get there and once you get the attention of the other person and the other person is, is listening and you can be angry about it, just, just don't be vengeful. Don't, be, don't bring revenge. Don't want to hurt the other person. You get to that point and then you've got to stop. Anger is only effective if we get to that point and we stop. Because the stuff after that is revenge, and that is not our territory, that is God's territory. We understand revenge. You know, if you, if you watch a, a TV show and the protagonist has some clear reason that they are going after revenge for some bad person who did this and the other, we watch the show and we feel that and we go, oh, there's a part of me that really wants my character to get revenge on that other character. And I'm gonna kind of cheer for that a little bit. We feel that. And we experience that sometimes in life. And God says, that's not your area. That the only way for anger to be effective is that we get to a certain point prior to revenge and we stop. And some of us have a hard time doing that. And the anger flows into places that are destroying of relationships. And one of the reasons we do that is we lose faith in the system. We lose faith in, in the grand system. Imagine that you're a student in school. You're a, a young student and something bad has happened. Either there's cheating or bullying or something has gone on. And if you don't have faith in the teachers and the principals and the leaders to take care of the situation, if you don't have faith in the system, you're going to take matters into your own hands. That's what we do. We go beyond anger. We go into revenge when we don't trust that the system is going to take care of what's going on. We don't trust that our parents are going to take care of what's We don't trust that the police are going to take care. We don't trust that the judicial system is going to take care of the situation. And so we, we keep our anger hot and we roll into revenge because we have to take care of the situation. From a spiritual standpoint, we get to the point where we just say, I just don't think God is in control. I'm going into revenge because God isn't doing anything about this. God must not be just. But instead, if we could just believe, as part of our faith journey, believe in God's system of justice that sometimes goes against what we would do, but we just trust God's system, we believe that God is just, that God is control, that God uh, is in control, is aware of the situation, and that God means what he says when he says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. I will take care of that. That's not your job. If we can believe in the system that God has set up, then we can let go of anger. 
We can let anger be effective and then let it go before it turns into wrath and venge. And some of us here in this room need to let go of anger. Some of you, what you heard me say was anger can be effective. And then you thought, I'm good. You thought, good, good sermon, preacher. I got that part. I wrote it down, and I don't need to hear anything else. As long as I get one thing every Sunday, that's good. And maybe you didn't hear the part about it should be rare. It should be angry about the right things. And it should stop before revenge. Some of us, we don't have anger hiding on the back of one or two shelves in our garage that we're bare, we barely see. It's kind of buried in the back there. We don't even think about it. Some of us have anger all over the place. It's, it's in the car when you're driving. It's in the kitchen. It's all over the living room. It's in the bedroom. And God wants to purify us from unrighteousness. God wants to clean that stuff out. Deandre's going to sing one final song here. Lord, I need you. And during this song, I want to give you an opportunity to let go of that anger. My wife gave me permission to share that a number of years ago, when our kids were little, she had an uncontrollable, ongoing anger that was brewing inside of her, that she would just snap at the kids for, for reasons that they did not deserve, and it was, just, it was just consuming her. She didn't know what to do with it, and, and part of a, of a worship service that she had responded, she came up front, and she just asked for God to give her freedom in that part of her life, and it happened supernaturally. She experiences freedom, and she just, God, transformed that part of her life. Some of us, we, might, we need therapy in this area, ongoing therapy. And some of us, God wants to just touch right now and free you from that anger. So if you're ready to say, I don't want to carry that around anymore, then now's the time to let it go. If, if you want to say, I, 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 I'm getting nothing out of the revenge journey. I, just, I continue to push into that, and I'm not getting any bonus out of the anger piece. It's just a mess. If you want freedom from that, now is the time. If you want to experience what it means to have rare, impactful anger about the right things, now is the time. If you want to embrace God as the one who controls the whole system, who is, who is just, who says, I will avenge, I will repay. If you want to trust that God in a way you never have before, now is the time. What I want to do is I want to, I want to um, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing this song together. And during that song, we're going to close the blinds and get a little bit of intimacy in here. If anyone wants to come forward, even on a balcony, come down the stairs, whatever, if anyone wants to come forward during this song, come and do that so that you can get freedom from anger. And we will pray at the end and see what God chooses to do among us.
Let's stand and we're going to sing together.